0: Welcome. Hello and welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable.
1: It's, it's really, 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 really Teens,
0: Welcome back to the All In My Head podcast. We're really glad you were able to join us for this episode, where we get to talk about drug abuse, drug misuse, and addiction. For this episode, I will be your host. My name is Leanne Motoni. I use she, her pronouns, and at the moment, I am a freshman in college.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Ali Gersh. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a junior at Cleveland High School.
2: Hi, my name is Lane Schaefer. I use he/him pronouns. I'm 17 and a junior at McDaniel High School.
3: Hi, I'm Eve. I use she/her pronouns. I'm 16 and I'm a sophomore at Cleveland High School. Hi, my name's Corinne. I'm a junior at Cleveland High School and I use she/her pronouns.
0: Thank you so much for introducing yourselves and thank you so much for also being here today to have this conversation. Our main focus for this episode will be the use of drugs in media, specifically the show Euphoria, and the effect it has on its audience. And so any reference of any scenes or characters will be from episode 6 of season 2 of Euphoria. That was the episode that... Rue goes through this withdrawal thing, and we just watch her have a whole moment of vulnerability. And I would just like to hear the thoughts you guys have on that episode. So feel free to share your perspective on the episode.
1: Well, I mean, this episode is really intense. There's a lot of action and a lot of like very important thought points that go on. So the episode starts with um, Rue having these really intense withdrawals, and she's trying to get help from her family just to kind of recover from the symptoms that she's experiencing, but it proves to be a lot more difficult than just a couple days of, like, I guess kind of waiting it out. And I think that this episode does a really good job of not glamorizing drug abuse like it did in the past season because we finally get to see that it's not just some, like, I guess whimsical kind of experience of just like being totally out of it. Like it's a very real, very intense process of recovery and it's a sickness really.
2: And I think one of the things that Euphoria has done well is depicting the impact that drug use, abuse, and addiction has on the people around you, um, and it has continued to do that in this episode, showing the impact that it has on, like, Ru's sister and her mother and the strain that it puts on the entire family, because one of the things that we often don't consider when we talk about drug use and addiction is how it impacts the people around you and the strain that it puts on those relationships.
0: Interesting. Glamorizing. I have heard that word a lot, especially since the release of that episode. And I have also seen it being used a lot on the internet, where I think there was this company, they were just mentioning how. They think that the use of drugs in Euphoria is basically glamorizing the use of drugs. So I was just wondering with this use of the word and maybe our audience just to like make sure our audience are on the same page with us. If you don't mind, Alex, sharing your definition of the word and what scenes or elements of the show do you feel like exude that energy of glamorizing drugs?
1: Did you see the first season? Mm -hmm. Do you remember those scenes with Rue and Jules when they were, like, first doing um, some Mm drugs for the first time? And there was that whole sequence when they were, like, under those, like, pretty, like, streamers and they had, like, glitter on their faces Mm -hmm. and they were like, whoa, drugs are pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's a lot of scenes like that, I think, especially throughout that season. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of cut off, like, in the second season Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you start to see that it's not just this experience of just you know, being high all the time and like, living that sort of life, like there's actually like very serious repercussions.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is actually so interesting, because I think I was so caught up with this episode that I totally forgot about that one. But that is true. But I was just wondering, wouldn't you say that there was some necessity to that episode? Because if you think about it, The show would sort of be off if all we saw was Rue struggling with drugs. But we never saw what she felt like. Like, what was her comfort feeling that always led her to go back to it? Don't you feel like the episode or that scene specifically was there in order to help make the audience familiar with the comfort feeling that Rue feels whenever she's on drugs so don't you feel that there's necessity to having that scene in that episode especially with the theme of the show sort of to help us be in her shoes
1: that is a good point yeah i do see the importance in that but I don't think most people would critique it to that level. You know, they would just see it at like a more surface level and just think, oh, wow, maybe I want to try that. Or like, It could kind of be like interpreted that way. But I do agree with you that it is important to see like both sides of the experience.
0: That is a good point. And you are totally right. At the end of the day, it does come down to perspective. Talking about perspective, though... Uh, Lane, I did hear you in your response mention the effect of drugs on family members, friends, and other members of the community around this person. And if you don't mind sharing your perspective on the impact the show has or the show will make with the portrayal of the family part of drug abuse.
2: I think the impact of Euphoria is definitely going to take a minute to hit because it's focused on that younger generation, so mo- almost all of the viewers of euphoria are you know probably gen Z or like below like twenty one or so, but I think it can potentially help people to understand that, as we said previously, drugs can be enjoyable when you use them, but the long term impacts of them are going to be brutal they 're going to strain your familial relationships they're going to cause hardship there and I think what people have difficulty understanding in the moment of using drugs as they're like, it's just a fun time. It's going to be, you know, it's just me. Like it's not going to hurt anyone else. But as we've seen in euphoria, and as I've seen in my own life, it has devastating impacts to your family members. It can cause generational trauma. It can cause people to end up using drugs themselves to cope with that trauma. Like, And so it kind of perpetuates the cycle of drug use. And so I hope that euphoria has a positive impact, but I fear that because of the glamorization or just Real depiction of the euphoric sensations that drugs create—it's going to cause more drug use among teens who want to experience that same kind of, you know, euphoric feeling where you're like floating and enjoying that time without thinking about the repercussions of their actions.
3: Yeah, I agree, um, and I also think that it's really great that they did show the impacts that it had on Ruth's family members, but. This is normal behavior, or maybe, you know, like encouraged to try certain things, like to some extent. Also, I think that, like, when showing these scenes, like, obviously it's a TV show, so we're gonna wanna see things that maybe we wouldn't experience in our everyday life, like for entertainment purposes.
2: And I think one of the differences with Euphoria compared to past TV shows such as Riverdale, there's still like a fantastical element to Riverdale where it's not real life, but Euphoria is more grounded in everyday life and the characters are designed to you know, be similar to, obviously there's going to be more extreme, but they're designed to kind of emulate what high schoolers today are. And I think that the scary part about Euphoria kind of for me is that It does emulate, you know, real high schoolers experience to some extent. And so because they might see themselves in some of the characters and be able to place themselves in like their shoes, they could sort of be more influenced by it because it is that more there's no like there's not that magical realism element or some kind of like fantastical thing happening where like, you know, people from different worlds come in or something like that.
3: I think that there's a balance between when we put that content out there, like not censoring it to an extent, but then also acknowledging that younger viewers especially will be more susceptible.
1: I think another thing that I've noticed is that the main demographic for this show is like between the ages of 12 and like, I don't know, early 20s, but that is a really young age to be watching that show with the content that there is like in general, but also just I think that also contributes to why it's so glamorized. And, like, I think what, like, 7th and 8th graders are going to think going into high school is, like, oh, I hope my life is like this. Like, that's so damaging. And that shouldn't be what, you know, anyone wants to experience.
0: Okay, so I do see a constant mention of the main demographic and basically the target audience of the show. Which does lead me to ask, what is the quote-unquote, right age to watch the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the content in specifically this episode, season two, episode six, was, like, horribly graphic. And so, like, as a junior in high school, it was graphic and jarring. And, like, I had to take a minute and be like, this is, like, this is horrible. Yeah,
1: just extremely jarring.
2: Um, And so I can't imagine, you know, because of the rise of TikTok and the popularity of Euphoria on TikTok, I think there's so many people who would never would have stumbled across that normally, who are of, as you said, a much younger demographic who are, you know, getting access to like very traumatizing, you know, videos. And so while we might be able to process it and be like, you know, this isn't real life, we can separate this from reality, you know, when you're younger growing up, like you make up all these scenarios of like you're watching a cartoon or something like that. And so then when you're watching that looks like real life and you're like 12 years old it's gonna be a lot more damaging and it's gonna influence you a lot more
3: i agree that like it's really important to think of like the demographic of who's viewing this content but also like who created it like euphoria was created by like older men and personally i find that really odd and slightly disturbing that it's about like these teenagers like doing drugs and engaging in like a lot of sexual behavior and it was created by like older men I don't know I just I find that factor like really jarring and I think it's important to like acknowledge like who's viewing this content and also like where it's coming from it's
1: just it's so important to be critical of media and to just really think about the creators and the context and just where it all comes from because at the end of the day that's really what matters I mean seeing something on a screen is one thing but then the context is just I find it to be the most important thing and that also ties into like if you're a younger viewer i don't feel like that's really talked to you at that age you don't really look at the background information you just kind of take everything at phase value
2: I think it's really important to have that conversation with people who are your family or who are close and connected to you rather than having it brought to you by entertainment or media. And the reason I say that is because different people are going to be in different situations. I know people who've had family members overdose before they turned 10 years old. And so obviously they're going to have to have that conversation. But when you're having it in a real life experience with people who are close to you, who know how to, you know, tell that to you in a way that's not going to be damaging that's not going to encourage you to engage in that behavior and things such as that it's very different than receiving it from a whether it be glamorized or some kind of media like that it's gonna be more impactful it's gonna come out the right way when it's from someone who actually knows you and so I think that conversation is going to happen at some point in your life whether you like it or not and just making sure that it's at the right time for you and your family
0: just to like be a part of the conversation too personally i was raised in a religious family and any conversation regarding drug use was just basically non-existent but if there was a time where we did have a conversation it was basically just unrealistic aspect of it where it's like don't do it just don't do drugs say no to drugs you know
3: Yeah, I agree. Personally, like, with my background, I was, like, one of those people who was forced to, like, have the conversation about drugs and overdose at a really young age. And though, like, that wasn't my choice, it was kind of forced upon me. I think that it also gave me, like a lens, like, about drug use from a really young age, and I was able to be educated about it in a way that maybe I wouldn't have been otherwise, and it also opened up the door for, like, a lot of open conversation, like, within my family about, like, what's going on and what's happening, so even though everybody's backgrounds and past, like, when they talk about it will be totally different, I agree that, like, even just being aware and discussing it with the people who care about you and who you care about is really important and like preventing it. And if you choose to engage in that activity, like doing it safely.
2: And that's been a huge conversation that we've had to have recently at McDaniel High School because we just recently had two youth overdose on fentanyl. And so that was a conversation that we as a school had to collectively have within classrooms, within our separate communities, like how to essentially safely do drugs because our teachers understand that high schoolers are going to do drugs. That is a fact. They're going to smoke weed. They're going to drink alcohol. But preventing that overdose or using drugs that are potentially dangerous or laced with fentanyl or something like that so being able to have those open and honest conversations where we acknowledge that kids are going to be kids they're going to explore and they're going to try new things but we need to make sure that they do that safely because it's not enough to just say no to drugs
1: Tying into that, I think that for that reason, those really graphic, really upsetting scenes and euphoria of overdose and of withdrawal are really important for kids our age to see, obviously, as long as it's through a critical lens. I really think that although it can be kind of shocking and really hard to take in, like it is reality for a lot of people, and it's important to acknowledge that in our decision-making and kind of expect certain outcomes if we don't take the right precautions.
3: Yeah, I agree. The scene at the beginning of the episode where like she can't even open a piece of candy, like that's really jarring. And it really just like shows you the extent to like which her withdrawals are affecting her. I also like want to point out what you said earlier before we started recording about how now it's not really the conversation of telling your kids and your students like don't do drugs. It's like kind of tying back to what Lane was saying. It's that this is a reality and this is going to happen, but obviously there's certain drugs that you can never do safely. It's more like how can you responsibly engage in this behavior versus just saying that it's never going to happen because that's simply not realistic.
2: And I know that, like, that might seem jarring to some of our older viewers because they might think, oh, like, you know, we should be trying to avoid kids doing drugs at all. But we had the same discussion with, like, sex. You know, there were people who thought we should practice abstinence-only sex education, and obviously that didn't work. So in the same way, I think that we have to do a similar thing with drugs, you know, using the right protection, using all the right things, and going to seek treatment when needed.
3: And I think that with, like, intimacy, too, and drug use, it's also, like, I think that parents have a responsibility, too, of acknowledging that this is a reality for so many teenagers, for most teenagers, and not being so critical to the point where they cannot engage in any of these behaviors safely. I think that, you know, like, open and honest conversations are key, and being sure that you're there as, like, a support system for your kid, and that you're not just, you know, like, closing something off and saying like no this is never gonna happen and i'm gonna punish you for it versus like being there to support them even if you don't agree with their choices
1: i would like to ask you guys what sort of experiences you guys have had with having those conversations with like trusted adults in your life or if you've had them at all
3: and i'd like to add too, like that i don't know i think that safety is so much more valuable than you know you engaging in like certain behaviors unsafely so if like choosing to engage and you know like drug use or intimacy whatever it is those behaviors are not unavoidable but there are certain things that we can do to make them you know so much more safe and like talking and being open and honest with the people around us is one of the ways that we can do that.
2: Yeah I've had a lot of conversations with various trusted adults about you know drug use and when to do it, when it's safe, and specifically with my parents, they were basically like, don't take any pills, especially if you don't know where they're from, if you get drunk, we'll come pick you up from wherever you're at don't drink and drive, it's stupid, you know, if you get high, make sure you know where the weed is from, like just basic stuff like that, because, you know, they were like, if you get high, like we want it to be with us for the first time, because we don't want you to be in an unsafe environment, or make sure you're with like trusted people, and you have someone sober there, and while I know that's more open than like a lot of parents are, I think that aspects of that can be integrated into any like parental conversation with a kid like you might not go that far, or be that open, but like you want to leave space for your kid to, you know, explore because if you just say don't do it at all, they're going to do it in the most unsafe way possible. And again, this comes up in so many other places, like the thing that came to mind was with abortion, like, if you outlaw abortions, women are going to get them in unsafe ways, it's still going to happen. So you want to make it happen in the safest way possible.
3: I agree that like safety is key and I wanna like touch on what you said before about, you know, like parental figures or even just like a trusted adult in your life because like I totally get that it's like not a reality for everybody to have these open and honest conversations with their parents. So if there's like a trusted adult inside of school or outside of school, just like one, you know, like adult figure support system that you could have to, you know, have these conversations with and that will support you and your safety.
0: It is really a necessity, especially having this episode and having this conversation, that we all understand each other's uh, definition of what drug abuse is. So if you don't mind taking time to like help us understand what does drug abuse look like to you.
2: I think it varies, and it varies based on the person, based on the family, based on the situation, and there is no real one definition. For me specifically, like, alcohol abuse has touched my family really closely, and, you know, people say, oh, like, I'm a functioning alcoholic, like, I can, you know, I can still function in daily life while I'm drunk, but, like... It's still abuse if you, you know, rely on it every day or you can't step away from it without stopping or even if it's like only every weekend or something. You're sober for six days and then you get crazy one night. That's still abuse. Like if you're not controlling the way in which you use it in a way that's safe and healthy, I think that it steps over the line to abuse and it can you know, deeply impact the people around you and it can impact your own health.
3: I think that any substance, if it's controlling you more than you're controlling it, I think that that's abuse. And I've had, you know, very close people in my life really struggle and continue to struggle with drug abuse. You know, it looks so different for everybody else. And, you know, what you said about functioning alcoholics, like, I don't know if the, like, the terminology functioning is correctly, because even if they're able to, you know, like, have a steady job, be productive during the day, they're still, like... I don't know, getting completely wasted and like out of control some nights or some of the time. And that's, you know, like that's not functioning for their relationships and for, you know, like the close family members in their lives.
0: Interesting perspectives. I really love this conversation. I would really like to stay on that note, but I would like to reference a scene on the episode where we do see Elliot and Jules are the reason why she's going through this withdrawal because they ended up telling on Rue and throughout the episode a really key element is showing us how much Rue felt this betrayal and it just makes me wonder is this the right approach towards helping someone who's going through addiction or drug misuse
1: I think although it did make her uncomfortable in the moment and we saw that she was very upset by this information being shared with her mom, I do think it was all in all the right thing to do. And you know, I think Jules and Elliot both saw like someone they really care about struggling, and so they decided to do something about it and let, instead of just kind of let her continue to suffer.
3: I think that's just a really good message for a lot of teens to hear because like it is the best thing. To tell a trusted adult if a friend is struggling with drug abuse because you might be able to help them a little bit
0: through it but you can't fully help them recover because you're
3: a teenager and no matter how much you want to help you need a trusted adult involved and i think that like i don't know it might push them away or like make them so mad at you but at the end of the day like your friend's safety and well-being like you know, like, as a true friend, like, that should come before like, how they will react with you. And I think that it's also important to acknowledge, like, when people have addiction, there is, you know, like, my mom personally had an awful addiction and still continues. She's not in my life anymore. But, like, as a child, I was placed in that situation. So there was nothing I could really do to help or handle that. But, you know, so... When it's an adult in your life, I think that it's like definitely very different than if it's, you know, like a friend or a peer struggling with drug abuse.
2: It's so hard when it's an adult in your life because... Oftentimes you almost feel responsible or like you've done something wrong or you could be doing more to help prevent that addiction and It makes it so hard because this is like this is an authority figure or someone you look up to and I think one of the most important things I've learned through dealing with family members who have addiction is you have to separate The addiction from the person because when a person isn't addicted to a substance they're not who they are and so You have to make hard decisions, and that can include, you know, they might say, don't tell anyone about this. Like, Or, like, I've had people say that, like, they will, like, cut me out of their life if I tell their parent or somebody about their drug addiction. But you have to make that decision in the moment to take care of them in the moment and get rid of that addiction so that they can go back to the person who they truly were. Because when you have that controlling your brain, it causes you to make decisions that aren't reflective of who you really are.
1: I know that in my experience, I've been in, like, countless situations where I'm forced to, you know, express concern and to an extent, like, confront certain people about their usage. And I've run into the issue where it feels like it's none of my business. Like, I feel like I'm either sounding dramatic or sounding concerned or, like, you know, sounding like a parent. And when in reality, it's just me showing care and love for someone that I don't want to see you know in a really vulnerable situation of possibly harming themselves especially later down the line and if like if certain habits continue out of people like and if no one i guess like me like even attempts to interfere like who knows what can happen it's really scary
3: yeah i agree also i wanted to add that like as a child you know if a parent or a loved one is like struggling with addiction you know, it's never your fault. And there's never anything, you know, you did to like cause that. And a lot of the times there's not a whole lot you can do to change that. And I know that that's really hard to accept, you know, like, do you ever really fully accept that? Like, who knows?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And like, it's one of the hardest things is letting go. Whether it be your friend, your peer, your family member who has this addiction, you can only do so much to help them. At some point, they have to have the willpower and make the decision themselves to sort of work towards getting rid of that addiction the things that you can do is working with their family members trying to help them give them your strength as much as you can without hurting yourself to you know get through that addiction but at the end of the day there's going to be a point at which they either work through that addiction or they don't and you have to be able to let go
1: not only let go, but also don't blame yourself for not being able to do enough. None of us are professionals and none of us know how to exactly work through this because we're not qualified to. All we can do is just look out for the people that we love and just try to show our support, even if that's through a way that maybe isn't easy or maybe isn't a nice discussion to have. I think it's just so crucial.
2: And I think that's one of the things that euphoria can show us is having familial protective factors or people to support you through that addiction is one of the most important things, and that's something that everyone can apply to their daily lives. It's important for mental health, for physical health, to have those protective factors. Whether it be you know a religious organization, as Rue had the church, whether it be you know community, family, you need to have those protective factors around you so that you can you know be supported through mental health crises or addiction, or things such as that.
3: And as we also see in Euphoria, that Ruth's support systems are so important, but that also at the end of the day, it's her addiction, and it's her battle, and there is only so much that other people can do to influence her behavior, but her behavior is her behavior, you know, and it's her choice.
0: Wonderful, wonderful conversations. I am really enjoying this conversation and I just really love the encouraging words that each and every one of you was able to like add. So that is all that we have for today. Um, We really are glad that you were able to join us and be sure to check all our other episodes out and to give them a listen and also be sure to follow us on social media or just look us up and share us with your friends and just engage with our content. Thank you so much for listening and hope to see you next time.
2: This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer. Music by Waterboy shared on Pixabay.